Hello, this is Aaron and welcome back to the podcast. This is likely to be a very short episode. Now, I know I sometimes say that and then end up going for half an hour or more, but I'm probably not going to do that today. It's actually Friday. I normally record on Fridays so that Monday I can just hit post. Everything's ready to go. The transcripts all cleaned up, etc. Uh, so this is Friday and I'm not feeling well. I'm not feeling well first because I might have a little bit of a cold, but also because I uh, went off of caffeine on Ash Wednesday. So every year, the first 30 days of Lent, I go without caffeine. And you would be asking, Aaron, why only the first 30 days of Lent and not all of Lent? And that's because it's not a religious fast. I'm doing this for me. So every year, I just like to cycle off caffeine for a month. I do the same thing with alcohol in January. I don't drink in January. And I think it's just good practice to take a break from things that you really like periodically and see what it does, how it feels. And one thing you can find out very quickly if you're a big caffeine drinker, as I am, and you go cold turkey on caffeine, you go through withdrawal symptoms, man, for almost a week after I cut back off of caffeine. I mean, I feel terrible. And so I kind of feel terrible uh, right now. And I think that's compounded by the fact that I have a cold. My wife is actually very sick. And I think maybe, but that's something you could think about. Think about, do you want to take a break from alcohol, take a break from caffeine, take a break from whatever it may be, social media, for a period of a time every year. It can reveal something about your level of dependence on that. If it's really hard and you can't break something for 30 days, maybe that's sending you a message. It also gives me, uh, I think, some perspectives on people who are addicted to drugs. I mean, I think about how hard it is to just stop drinking coffee uh, for a period of time. You know, I'm craving a cup of coffee or something with caffeine in it right now. Imagine if you were on heroin or meth or something like that that had serious addictive power. Man, it gives you a little bit of sympathy to say it must be incredibly difficult uh, to break free of that, which must just be at a completely you know, higher beyond level than you know, a simple drug like caffeine. So something to think about. Anyhow, today I want to talk about something I've observed on the internet which is this gotcha people like to do where when you tweet or post or say or write something about somebody else, you get accused of speculating about their motives. These people will say, how do you know what's in Russell Moore's heart? How do you know what this person's intentions really are? You don't know that. You don't know them. How can you see into their heart? And so I was actually just observing this this week. I'm going to read you a couple excerpts from tweets of somebody attacking someone over this very thing. I think you are speculating on things you can't say with a surety, and it is informed by what camp, so to speak, you are in. Which I think this is an interesting one because here's somebody who's being accused of speculating on other people's motives while at the same time his own motives are being speculated about. Here's another one. Yeah, let's not be speaking to someone's individual heart and how they are supposedly self-absorbed over Twitter. So this is the try to the gotcha that they get. They try to say, you don't 
have any knowledge about this person's motives. You're imputing bad motives to them. And, you know, therefore we shouldn't take you seriously. Or maybe even you're slandering them. Oh, you're violating the ninth commandment or whatever. You are slandering these people. You're saying bad things about their motives, etc. And I would say, number one, it is definitely completely legitimate to infer people's motives from their actions. We do this all the time. For example, if the wife turns up dead a week after the husband takes out a very large life insurance policy, I think everybody knows he has a potential motive for potentially having killed her, and that's going to cause them to look uh, very closely at him. So we do infer people's motives all the time. Now, do we know for sure what other people are doing? Generally speaking, no. In fact, a lot of people themselves don't know what their own motives are uh, when they do things. We might have clarity about why we're really doing something. We might think we're doing something for X reasons, but it's colored by all sorts of other things. But nevertheless, I don't think that we uh, should feel bad about imputing motives to people based on actions that we can observe. And let me just give you one quick sight on that. Uh, I've sat through a number of sermons uh, preaching on love in the Bible where they always say Christian love is not a sentiment, it's an action, right? So when you're commanded to love your enemies, it's not about feeling you know, good or developing some sentiment in your heart. It's action-oriented. And again, you could probably look up some sermons on this. I don't go into that. Well, uh, you know, if love is an action, uh, then we can determine whether or not someone is being loving or not by looking at the actions that they're undertaking. Are these actions loving? Uh, or are these actions not loving? Uh, so we can determine uh, a little bit about uh, what someone is doing in terms of what might ordinarily be inferred a motive by simply looking at the actions that they are undertaking. Again, it's not perfect, but there's nothing wrong with that. But this is one that I think is just a gotcha. It's like a go-to gotcha all the time. And so I just think you should be aware of it when you're writing and when you're talking and just be cautious and say, do I really want to impute a motive here? Because if I do that, that's what they're going to come after me on. You just got to be aware of it. I'm not saying not to do it, uh, but this is what they're going to come after you on. What I tend to like to do is avoid talking about motives if I can and simply stick to the fact pattern that on its face is pretty damning. So, for example, I mention frequently that I have never seen uh, a book on marriage written by a pastor or heard a sermon on marriage by a pastor in which they have ever uh, included the stat that the vast majority of divorces are filed by women. You can search in vain for that all over the internet. Actually, someone did send me a sermon, a fairly recent sermon, in which Mark Driscoll supposedly said it. So I'm going to go listen to that sermon. That would be the first one I've ever found. And so it's like a nugget of gold I got I to gotta keep there. So I don't need to infer why they did that. Why might these people not have included that? Maybe they don't know it. Maybe they're just ignorant about the topic that they're writing on. Maybe they deliberately hid it for some reason. Or maybe it's something else entirely. But I don't need to know that. 
The mere fact that one of the most well-known and salient statistics about marriage is never included in any of their sermons, that by itself tells you something. You know, we don't need to know the motives of people's hearts in order to understand that these guys, in many respects, are just not serious on the topic they're writing on because they're not even giving you the basic facts on it. So I try to stick to the fact pattern in question. And then there's other people, other facts that I think are, you know, somewhat objectively uh, bad in their own right. And again, we don't need to understand the motivations of this to conclude that someone is bad news when they do things. And I use the example in my newsletter of Russell Moore, who has multiple times in secular publications, uh, in podcasts and things, just brutally attacked other Christians and suggested that they're not even saved because he doesn't like their politics. So his famous one, you can look it up, is the New York Times. He wrote an op-ed called A White Church No More. In the end of it, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you could look it up. It's, you know, a dark-skinned, Aramaic-speaking foreigner is sitting on the throne, and on Judgment Day, he's not likely to be impressed with Make America Great Again or something like that. So when I see a guy doing that in the New York Times— uh, that behavior is objectively perfidious to anyone uh, who, you know, he might consider part of the, you know, the Christian community with which he's affiliated. The people of the Southern Baptist Convention, for example, which Russell Moore was the paid representative of. He is being paid as the head of their lobbying shop. He is the paid professional representative at that time of the SBC. And so if you're an SBC Trump supporter uh, who reads this op-ed, you don't need to know a single thing about Russell Moore's motivations to know he's bad news. I mean, that's just bad news. The behaviors are bad, and we don't need to go any further than that. So that's kind of how I do it. I say, can we stick to the, the fact pattern and just leave it speak to itself? Can we see behaviors that are, you know, objectively disqualifying at some level. Let's just say I kill somebody, right? You don't need to know my motivation for killing. Say, hey, killed somebody. You probably want to stay away from this guy. Uh, that's a problem, right? So those are, the, those are some of the things that I try to do rather than impute motives. Again, not because I don't think it's wrong. I think it's wrong to impute motives. But uh, when when you do that, you're just opening yourself up to an immediate counterattack. So you need to ask yourself, is that what you want to get in return? And what I do and try to do, actually in my own personal life, is I really don't even like to try to understand someone's motives as a way of understanding the way that they're going to behave in the world. Uh, I just simply acquire heuristics of behavior, as I call it. I say, someone in this position who's affiliated with these people, these communities, this place, this city, you know, this socioeconomic status, et cetera, how is this person likely to behave in certain scenarios? And so I come up with these kind of heuristic rules about how I would predict that they're going to behave. And you know what? It's quite often correct. Now, is it always correct? No. So I say, oh. Uh, this person didn't act this way. And that lets me say, well, why did they not ask? Uh, why did they not act that way? Oh, maybe my model needs to be updated. Or maybe it's just a heuristic. It's a rule of thumb. Not everything is in line uh, with a rule of thumb. And so that's another way to look at it. Is rather than trying to discern individual motives, let's just you know create heuristics 
uh, and say, how are these people likely to respond? So for example, as I note uh, in my First Things article, uh, you know, I divide, you know, evangelicals into certain, called, called camps, if you want to call it that, I'm, maybe not the best word, but we use it for now. You get what I mean. There's what I call the religious right camp, the culture war camp, and then there's the cultural engagement camp. And if you are someone that seems to be more affiliated with one camp or another, that is going to give some information about how you are likely to respond as a heuristic about behavior, not as a, in a, you know, a secret lens that lets me peer into someone's heart. I can say, well, this person is part of this group. They're in Washington, D.C. You know, they're in this world. Uh, they're at this level. How is that person likely to behave or how are they likely to think about certain issues? And, you know, it's often, uh, you know, very useful to think about the world. And we can think of it again as a heuristic, not as a detailed understanding of their motivations. But again, I usually don't write that down, speculations on how people are going to act. I just use it for sort of my own kind of personal purposes in um, looking at the world. And a lot of times these kind of patterns that we see are actually quite, uh, you know, informative. Uh, you know, you, you've probably seen, uh, for example, couples that say, well, that couple's headed for divorce. Is that because you saw into their heart? No, but you're watching a pattern of behavior. You've probably seen this movie before. And, you know, people in certain situations, you can kind of heuristically conclude this is happening. Now, does that always happen? No, it doesn't always happen. But if we see that, maybe it gives us an opportunity to try to maybe change that situation for the better, for example. So again, just wanted to lay that out there because this is one just reflexive attack people use whenever you make a statement that seems to suggest a motive for another person's action. All that other person's defenders come back at you and say, oh, you don't know what's in their heart. You can't see into their heart. How dare you? This person, I know they're this amazing godly person and all these things, don't you know? You know, you can say it anyway. Uh, again, I don't think there's any reason uh, that we can't impute motives from behaviors in many cases uh, at some level. Nevertheless, uh, it's something to think about to say, do I want to just take these hits or is there a better way to approach it that takes away that angle of attack? And again, the two that I use is just one, just, you know, the fact pattern. There's kind of a fact pattern that's out there and you can just say the fact pattern and kind of speaks for itself. And it's kind of a variation of that is when someone does something that is objectively, you know, bad or disqualifying in some way, all I have to do is say, look, I don't need to know the person's motives on any of these cases, but take a look at this and we can go from there. So again, just a short one today, something to think about. This is one of the things I see out there. It's especially on Twitter, uh, but all over the place. And if you don't want to get uh, trapped up by it, yeah, you something to consciously consider when you're doing your writing.